and welcome to another edition of IDS Talks, Transatlantic Tea Time. My name is Jonathan Sachs, Chief Revenue Officer at IDS, and today I'm joined once again by my colleague and friend, Tim LaTulip, to talk about D3, Delightfully Digestible Data, version 3.0. Morning. How are you doing, Tim? Good morning, Jonathan. I'm all right. Thanks for asking. It's very, it's very, uh, U.S. focused, my good morning to you, because I actually believe it's afternoon. So I need to uh, I need to fix that next time. But good morning, good afternoon, good evening, because who knows when people are listening to this. Let's um, let's jump right into it. Um, this current, uh, I guess, version 3.0 of D3, delightfully digestible data, uh, hit a chord with me. A couple of weeks ago, I was in London, had the pleasure of spending time with you and, and our colleagues, uh, Dan Ruprecht and Dominic Tucker. And you talked about um, a laptop getting taken at a pub. Tell us more. Yeah, sure. It's, it's actually not an uncommon occurrence. If you've spent more than a few weeks time in London or, or live over this way, you'd probably recognize that petty theft is sort of on the rise, which is unfortunate in and of itself, but basically uh, tangible, small, valuable things, iPhones, iPads, tablets, laptops, they can be taken pretty easily. Uh, usually in the light of day, in not very busy areas, uh, people walk into pubs, grab things off of tables, car keys, phones, wallets, it happens. We've also in a professional capacity, worked on cases where this has been an issue. Uh, not just in the UK, but in Ireland and other jurisdictions, there have been materials with potentially sensitive information that have been sort of taken, uh, stolen, really. Uh, and and there's a number of concerns uh, when, when that sort of thing happens, P namely, um, you know, potential data breach notifications, uh, information security concerns generally, what what type of data was on there, uh, irrespective of, of of data protection laws, uh, you know, is is there something uh, highly sensitive on there, uh, and and particularly when it involves government personnel, uh, you know, what kind of material might might be on that that computer? So, the bit I was talking about in a recent post, uh, and I'm really just piggybacking on on something the media picked up was the laptop of the rail minister here in the UK who had his laptop taken from a pub in the city uh, not very long ago. It was reported, I think, on the 2nd of February, which is interesting because it still doesn't really indicate when the laptop was taken, but that's when the report was filed to I pr probably local police. Um, I don't know if it was City of London police or, or who it was, but the media were throwing a bone clearly about about the incident and all of the press outlets evening standard metro mail online you know some reputable papers some less so all had the same party line which means they were probably fed a blurb by uh the press office for, for the minister and the the message was short and sweet the individual had a laptop in a pub in Covent Garden, which is central London, on James Street. Uh, and the laptop had been taken from under his table or under his chair. 
Now, when you look at the news article, it's very interesting. And I sort of attribute it to lazy journalism. And, and if anyone's listening to this, shame on you. Uh, it, any, any intern or staffer could have Googled and seen that there are only two pubs on James Street in London. It's about the length of, I don't know, 40 meters. The, the street is not very long. It goes basically from the tube station down to uh, Covent Garden promenade area. Uh, so he was in one of two pubs. So anyone in a, in a news article could have said it was, you know, the nags head or whatever the other one's called. Uh, just, just, just pointing that out, uh, maybe not relevant, but you know, when the public wants information, uh, you, you got to give them what they want. So in any event, we sort of dissected that in, in looking at the incident, it, that that's kind of part of the job that we like is being curious uh, note, noticing that kind of context and digging into it. Yes, we work on electronic information and electronic investigations, but there's also information in and around that uh, where, where one can be curious. And being curious is what leads you to uh, you know, better performance in your analysis and your, your questioning. So you know, we've, we've established very quickly that a laptop was taken. We don't know exactly when. We're pretty sure we know where it was taken, one of two pubs. Uh, and then the article goes on to say that uh, sort of a line of, well, don't worry about it. The laptop was remotely wiped at some point. And that's kind of where I throw up a few red flags. And that's, that's really where I want to have a quick kind of conversation with you in the audience, Jonathan, because that's the most, that's the most interesting bit. So let's, let, let's jump into that. Let's, let's jump right into those red flags. What you read in that article that then got you thinking um, that perhaps something more went on um, or just caused you to raise an eyebrow and say, this just doesn't quite make sense to me. Yeah, exactly right. So the, there were elements to the to the news piece, and again, it was written the same way. And the Times, um, the FT reported it. The all of the newspapers reported it the same way. So it was it was it was interesting. Maybe a few words changed here and there, but essentially, they had they had said that the laptop was remotely wiped at some point. This this is actually very easy to do with mobile phones. And it's been a, a, it's been a technology we've had at our disposal for quite some time. I had a phone personally stolen in October, November in London, um, like a, a phone snatching type incident. That phone I had remotely wiped very quickly and easily because it was linked uh, via Find My Device, and I used the Apple ecosystem. The phone was on a mobile carrier network. It was online, in quotes. It was on the internet, so I could send a kill command to it very easily. The problem in equating this to laptops or more kind of traditional computers is that they don't connect to mobile networks. They're not designed to connect to mobile networks. They're designed to connect to Wi-Fi hotspots or be plugged into networks. Now, if the computer was in a sleep kind of state and sat beneath the guy's chair or table and it was in a bag, there are a couple of things that race through my mind when when this happens so someone takes the laptop if it's not powered on or if it is and it's sleeping 
I'm 99% confident that this thing is locked. It's going to have some kind of complex password uh, to get into a Windows account. No one's going to sort of bypass that. I'm, I'm assuming that a government minister's computer has fairly rigid uh, security controls implemented. So I don't suspect anyone's going to get into it. Now, in order for a remote wipe to have happened on that laptop, it would have to come online. Meaning, once it was out of the, the, the minister's possession, somebody would have to have brought it onto a network somehow, which would necessarily mean they had access to the computer, if you get what I'm saying. They would have to have attached it to a network somehow. So my thought is, one, an administrator of some kind sent a remote wipe command to this laptop, but didn't get the sort of ping back. So ET phoned home, but nobody picked up the other end of the phone. So they sent a command, but they don't have confirmation that a wipe happened. If they sent the command to have this thing wiped, and it actually did receive the command, and it did wipe or sort of send back the confirmation that that was happening, again, that means somebody had got this computer online somehow, which is the biggest red flag for me, because that means somebody could have had access to its contents for X number of hours, days, whatever it is, before even putting it on a network. Is that making sense, Jonathan, to you? It it does, but just so I'm clear, so you're more techie than I am. I'm I'm techie enough, but nowhere near your level. Um, so so if I understand your your cell phone situation, it's connecting to mobile network. For someone to get it and take it truly offline, they've got to turn off Wi-Fi and turn off cellular. Essentially, go if it's an iPhone into airplane mode. Um, different with the the laptop but just so i understand you're saying that if that well let's ask two questions when you sent that wipe command to your iphone did you get a confirmation that the signal on your phone was received and that the phone was indeed wiped yes because in that in that set in that scenario the phones have a sim card on them they're on a network they're on they're connected to the wider internet so rather than it saying you know if it was sort of dead in a ditch and not online, it would say erasure pending or something like that. But it was able to receive the, the command. Now, in the case of, a, of the laptop, uh, you mentioned ping goes out to the, uh, <clears throat> to the computer, uh, ET phone home. Is there a similar type of confirmation that the minister's IT would have received if indeed the laptop had been connected to Wi-Fi and was wiped. Yeah, I, I would think so, Jonathan, because there's a number of ways this can happen. There's third-party software. Um, people can Google around. There's there's two or three really popular third-party pieces of software. And then I know, I, I also know if accounts are managed, um, this, this would certainly be one for Robert Kirtley and some of my friends in that space. But if Windows accounts are managed by Microsoft Azure, uh, they can have this wiping capability switched on sort of via Microsoft itself as a mechanism. And I think in all scenarios, it would say, you know, deliver, you know, command being run, executed, successful, 
these kinds of standard handshakes that you see in in computer behavior uh, rather than pending, which is what I would expect for a computer that's not online anywhere. Um, I suppose you, you could you could go for a little walk with me here also and just suppose that it was successfully wiped. Uh, maybe the laptop was connected to the pub's Wi-Fi hotspot. Maybe it was connected to somebody's phone. It was paired as a hotspot and somebody grabbed the laptop uh, as soon as it was reported missing. Uh, maybe somebody told an IT team and they immediately wiped it. But that would require that that computer still be kind of on, maybe with the lid shut and also in the vicinity of the same Wi-Fi hotspot, if you get what I'm saying. So I find it very, yeah, I find it just really interesting that they were willing to give information about it being stolen, a curt sort of quick answer that don't worry, it was wiped. Um, but again, it's not typical for this kind of thing to be reported on in detail. So I don't expect it to be reported in detail. Uh, I'd be interested to see some kind of follow on questions um, from, from some of the journalists or the media. Um, but I don't, I don't expect that to happen either. So I want to, I want to go one step further on this walk with you. So I told you I, I was tech dangerous. Maybe I didn't quite say it that way. I know enough to be in trouble, but that's about it. So one of the things, if we were, <clears throat> if we were investigating this, say we were part of the, uh, the minister's IT team, <clears throat> you mentioned the possibility the laptop could connect to, um, to the pub's Wi-Fi. So that pub potentially could have a log associated with that and would be able to determine whether or not that device actually connected to their Wi-Fi within the time period that the minister was in the pub. I know this isn't tied to erasure and wiping, but just a another tech element here to throw out to our listeners. That very, is yeah, that very interesting possibility. It is a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Wi-Fi access points and managed networks like that often capture device information. I mean, usually the MAC address, one of these kind of hard-coded addresses that identify a computer, um, they'll typically keep that information and usually not for very long, if at all. I mean, they've got their own data privacy and kind of policies. When you go and join these open networks, they say, hey, we're going to keep information on you, but you know, maybe not for very long and only for analytics purposes. You know, they don't anticipate being part of an investigation or an element of one. Um, the other thing I sort of thought of, and I think I talked about in a, in a brief write-up, was that it, I suppose it's possible that the laptop had some kind of GSM, LTE, 4G, 5G type connectivity. It's... It's kind of unusual, and I've not seen a laptop built like that in a long time. Maybe about 12 or 13 years ago, some of these Lenovo's and some corporate computers for C-suite people, um, we're, we're, we worked on some investigations, had almost these LoJack-style systems in them that cars have, um, which require very little data throughput. So can basically talk to a network on what would be akin to a mobile phone from you know, 20 years ago, 
just send a few bits and bytes here and there. But potentially something like that could be leveraged. And really all you would need are a few bytes to send across to get this thing to self-destruct, potentially. I just I just don't see it as likely. Uh, and also, if they had that kind of surety, I just don't see why they wouldn't have revealed that when feeding information to the press. Uh, but again, sometimes less information is better when you have a PR strategy in place. But if I were part of that team, I might say, yes, the laptop was wiped. We were able to send a mobile signal to it through you know, some capability we have and it's sorted. Don't worry about it. Uh, whereas it's kind of still wrapped in vagary and, um, you know, certainly leaves a lot of questions. Yeah, abs- absolutely leaves, leaves questions. Uh, well, certainly interesting. Uh, I enjoyed reading, um, D3, uh, and I've enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, also, uh, thank you to our regular subscribers, um, and to our first time listeners, if you'd like to uh, receive Tim's D3, please reach out to him. He is on LinkedIn. Uh, DM him and, and he'd be happy to add you to his, his subscriber list. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about IDS or to subscribe to our IDS Talks podcasts, you can visit idsinc.com or go to wherever you normally get your podcast from and subscribe there. Thank you again for joining us, and I look forward to talking more about data with you on our next edition of IDS Talks. Have a good one. Thank you. 